0: That's BlueNile.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you, buddy? I'm well, with a question mark. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. Uh, Happy New Year to every, everyone of our listeners. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Happy I hope New Year a to a good one. Uh, I hope you've uh, continued your resolutions at the time of recording. It is the 12th of January, so uh, I think now is about the time, isn't it? They say if people have made resolutions, it's about now that they've already started to quit them. Did you make one? Um, I did not. No, I did not. Did you? No, because I I decided that I'm perfect
2: already. So it would be a a waste. A a,
1: a friend of mine, I asked her if she had any New Year's resolutions. And she said, um, no, I don't like resolutions. Uh, I've I've got some things. uh, Oh, I forget what the bloody word she said now. Um, But yeah, she said she didn't have any resolutions, but she had things that she'd like to um, improve upon. And I was like, well, that's a resolution, right? And she was like, no, 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 no. just in different wording. Yeah, she's like, no, but resolutions are things you'd like to change about yourself. And she said, I don't want to change anything. I just want to improve on certain aspects of myself. It doesn't have to be.
2: One of my Uh, New Year's resolutions once was to beat my friend at bowling. Like that was... (laughs) Did you? No.
1: Oh, mate. That was
2: like over a decade
1: ago as well. Wow.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no. It doesn't have to be anything
1: deep. Yeah, I think it's one of those, you know, tomato tomato things, but um, I think it's a resolution, but she says it isn't. Um, Listen, I don't know. I don't have any resolutions. I think I'm pretty all right at the moment. I mean, I have things I'd like to do and uh, things I'd like to uh, achieve this year um, Mm. on a personal note, but um, no, I don't really have anything. I'm like, yeah, I want to change this. I want to do something a bit this. So, no. 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 Uh, I'd like this podcast to just continue to sore on the trajectory that it is going um Mm, 2021 was a good year 2021 was a very good year for that's what people do um all thanks to the listeners of course you guys listening to this episode right now which i know many will be because like i I, I, you must have notifications on because as soon as this episode goes out within a day it's like everyone's listened to it (laughs) and then you're like give me more
2: please it is good i must apologize on a a personal level to some listeners who message me and attempt to talk i will message back it might just take me about three to five working days i'm really bad at responding
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) i can attest to that yeah
2: (laughs) yeah i do see the message i see it instantly and i think i'll respond to that later and i forget is what happens
1: james is also going for a very stressful time at university at the moment
2: i have a lot of assignments i'm very stressed very Mm. stressed i'm also sitting here wearing that's what people do hoodie
1: Yes, James has finally jumped on board. He's wearing some official TWPD merch.
2: It's really nice. And I'm not just saying that to get you to buy it. It's genuinely really nice. I would say as a hoodie, it would also be nice in summer because it's not too thick. It's, it's, it's a nice material.
1: Yeah. well, And, then, the, uh, yeah.
2: and the that's what people do. Logo isn't sort of like stuck on, you know, how they iron stuff on and
1: it's mm. crappy like sticker.
2: You know what I mean? It's sort of like it's not embroidered, but it's just it's it's not it's on there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's uh, a good review from one of the founders of That's What People Do, talking about the merch. I really merch. like it. We're not biased. I, really like,
2: I, I got it a couple of days ago, and I've only worn this since. And one of yeah. my housemates was like, you're wearing your own merch. I was like, yes, I am. Yeah, and I'll continue right. to do so.
1: Yeah, too right. You have to wear your own merch. You've got to, we've, got, we've got to promote the show, which I'm about to do now. If you'd like to join James in wearing some of the merch, uh, you can head to www.twpd.store. Um, and you can pick up the merch there I'm going to be picking up some more shirts and bits and bobs soon um, when I get an opportunity I'm going to head over to our store and pick up um, uh, try and create a few more designs try and add a few more things to the store uh, see if we can get hats onto the store I
2: really want a cap Yeah, so we go, I think that's something we should be heavily look into I really really want a cap because yeah. if anyone knows me I wear caps everywhere <laughs> Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah trying to get uh, hats on store because that would be really good uh, and I also want to get myself a mug, so get yourself something, guys. Uh, also, if you'd like to support the show, uh, head to our Ko-Fi page, where you can donate to the show, uh, www.ko-fi.com, forward slash, that's what people do, uh, and yeah, just if you'd like to uh, help support the show, that's the way to do so. Right, let's... And that's today's episode, so thanks for tuning in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so let's, let's crack on, shall we? Um, today... We are talking about the man who saved the world. Today, we're talking about a guy called Stanislav Petrov. Now, it's 1983. The compact disc CD goes on sale for the first time in the UK. Man United win the FA Cup, beating Brighton 4-0. Margaret Thatcher is Prime Minister and the Pound Coin is introduced for the first time. In this year, quite a lot happened. Oh, and if you are interested, Culture Club's "Karma Chameleon" was number one in the charts for a very respectable six weeks. And that's if a that's good song. if that's not now put in your head for the next six weeks, <laughs> you need to karma, do karma, more. Karma, 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 karma chameleon. Uh, That's about as much as I think we're allowed to do now. She comes <laughs> and goes.
2: Are <laughs> we have to pay for it? And goes. I don't know. I, what I just did was
1: not audible and not in tune. <laughs> uh, now, in the background, tensions were high. So, the Cold War had been thawing for some time with the war in Korea, Vietnam, and the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the UK, being an ally of the United States and founding member of the UN, was quite literally smack bang in the middle of two superpowers arguing over whose dad was the hardest. Russia and the US Now, a nuclear strike was an all too real threat for the people of the UK In fact, Panorama, a BBC documentary show, released an episode called If the Bomb Drops in 1980 giving British people advice on what to do in the event of a nuclear strike and what life might be like in the aftermath That uh, Panorama episode as well was uh, hosted by um, Jeremy Paxman uh, and he is—he oh, yeah. is very, very much a younger man there, with a lot of hair, and it looks really weird. Yeah, I can only ever see him as this old, old man. Yeah, grumpy old git. Ah, oh. yeah. Now the BBC even had an emergency alert system pre-recorded that would interrupt broadcasting should a missile be detected. Now this is something that I've always thought was one of the scariest things. You know, you see him in films. Like in America, the screen goes like black, and then it goes to white with an official logo, and it's like, uh, emergency, and then it says like a bunch of things, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think, oh, it's just films, it's just films. This shit's real. Uh, in Japan and in fact in Korea, uh, if anything from like North Korea, any missiles get detected and whatnot, every single person who lives in an area that they think is like um in a in a in the path of a missile gets a text alert saying, bunker down. So-
2: my cousin lived in uh Sapporo i have probably pronounce that wrong and there was a point a year or two ago when North Korea were getting really happy with their missiles and they sent one like flying over the islands and into the sea you know what North Korea do and he woke up to like this alert going off on his phone being like there's missiles being fired Yeah. which naturally would would
1: really shit you up yeah yeah and, and also like kind of weird that like you think oh it's my mobile phone it's, got, it's, it's my number if you've never given your number out to anyone how would someone get that number and you realize that you know, if people can get those the government just has that because obviously we get it every single person in the uk currently has had a text in all caps saying go get a booster jab
2: yeah and everyone was complained about it all you have to do is read the text and if you don't want it, go no thank you and then move on with your life yeah it takes more time out of your day to go on twitter and complain about it mm. so stop So um,
1: the BBC's emergency broadcast, which uh, although, as I said, it's pre-recorded, it wasn't done uh, with like a voice actor or anything as such. It's like Stephen Hawking telling you, shit's about to go real. Um, And I listened to the whole thing and it's actually quite scary. Like, it's really quite, uh, oh God. And I think that's the point of it. When you're listening to it, you're you're supposed to take it seriously. You're supposed to be like, oh, this guy's not fucking about. Um, So I'm going to read that to you now. Uh, So it says, quote, We interrupt regular programming to bring you a message from Her Majesty's government. Please stand by and await further instruction. This is an emergency warning from the BBC. Information of a possible nuclear strike against this country has been received. The current threat level is critical, meaning an attack is imminent. Civilians are advised to stay in their homes. Evacuations are currently taking place in the London, Manchester, Birmingham and Leeds areas. If you are in these areas police will lead you to safety. Follow their orders without question. If you are not in these areas you should stay at home unless police tell you otherwise. All non-essential telephone lines have been disconnected for military use. You should begin your preparations for the strike. Collect 14 days worth of essential supplies such as food, water, medicine and clothing. Ensure you have a battery powered radio with a change of batteries for the duration of the sheltering period. To ensure you can listen to information and be all clear. Nuclear strikes create fallout deadly dust which will spread for hundreds of miles and will affect everyone in this country no matter how rural the area they live in. This deadly dust will cause radiation sickness followed by death. You are advised to build an inner refuge in the lowest and most central part of your home as far away from external doors and windows as possible. Use non-flammable materials such as doors, tables, chairs, and use bags and cases full of sand to bulk out the shelter. You and your family should remain in the shelter for the 14-day period you will remain at home. You will be unable to leave your fallout room. Collect water now. Water services will be disconnected to prevent major fallout contamination. And if you do not collect water now you will not be able to collect it during the sheltering period. Collect approximately three and a half pints of water per person per day. Nuclear explosions have three main effects, extreme heat, extreme light and a shockwave blast. People in major cities which are likely to be targets are being evacuated as the explosion will destroy anything in its path for at least five miles the area in which police will be unable to evacuate everyone, a siren will sound to alert that you are in a potential blast radius zone and evacuate to safety. Those that do not hear a siren should not evacuate as they are not in a blast zone and should spend time constructing an inner refuge. That would...
2: I mean, you read that like a public service announcement as well, so that was great.
1: <laughs> now that would be playing again and again and again and again until it stops playing and when it stops playing it's probably because the bomb got dropped and the radio towers and the tv towers all got wiped the fuck out
2: it, it's oh, it would be fucking terrifying i remember speaking to my parents about this because they lived through the uh, 80s obviously uh, and they used to in school like get instructions of what to do if a nuke hit they'd get leaflets through the post mm. imagine oh, like that's terrifying mm-hmm. yeah yeah no it's mad it's mad isn't it um and also at school be like, get under your desk. If a nuke hits, don't get under I your desk. I think it was just to give someone sit something there.
1: to do or make them feel like they're doing something in their last minutes. Does that make sense? I, I, I don't know what I'd do. I think constantly carry around a big old bottle of gin <laughs> and just start necking it. See, yeah, but this is So this is the thing, right? So obviously this threat was known by many, but it wasn't one sitting in the minds of everyone all day, every day. And that's the thing I find really interesting, of course. Like, um like our parents generation james like they grew up through this this was sort of this would have been their 20s um or 30s this sort of era like where they're just really sort of cracking on and becoming an adult now um and i imagine a lot of them it's not really at the forefront of their mind it's probably somewhere in the back but i've got work to go to or i've got kids to raise or a family to sort of have and all this kind of shit maybe they weren't thinking about it all that often um maybe, maybe, Hmm. you know, they just didn't think on it too much or maybe they just never believed it would happen. And, in fact, on that Jeremy Paxman uh, documentary from the 1980s where they sort of say, listen, if this happens, this is what you do. At the beginning, he's like, listen, we know it's not likely to happen. We don't believe it is. But if it does, this is what we do. So, you know, maybe they were just told the right things. But I don't know. Bizarre.
2: There's a website you can go on um, where you can, like, pick a nuclear oh, yeah. bomb of all the nuclear bombs that have been made and, like, drop it on certain cities and see what would happen. It's really interesting. Obviously, like, London, in terms of UK, London would be the, uh, probably the one that gets hit, you'd assume. And if I was living in Birmingham, I think you'd get, like, you'd be all right, but you'd have, like, radiation and stuff and you'd have to... I mean, the whole country would be fucked, but yeah. we wouldn't die instantly. I think, it, to get nuked, I think you want to be where the bomb drops. Because then you're gone. You don't have to deal with it. The worst part is like the after effects, living with the radiation, the poisoning, all of that would be horrible. You suffer. There's a,
1: a really good infographics uh, video on YouTube where they talk, talk about how this guy was only like a couple of miles away from the uh, like a bomb in Hiroshima, and it sort of like documents his next sort of half an hour, and it's saying how like the floor is just you know when you're walking on hot sand on holiday and it's almost impossible to walk on it he's like this is the floor where it's you can't walk on it and your shoes have been evaporated from the heat or like they've melted away but you keep oh. walking because like you, like the pain is just you don't even register it anymore and like you look at your hands mm. and they're just blistered to fuck and burn um and he's like there's like there's rain coming from the from the the sky and you try to drink it but then you realize it's black it, like it's acid, black it? and it's not rain it's ash it's the oh. vaporized people and buildings that have just oh, uh, and you're like just and also apparently um the the air around you is like 60 degrees or something and then you've got like super heat wave uh wind rushes that just come through every now and then that are like plus 100 degrees and people just get like third degree burns from wind blowing in their faces and it's like oh my god
2: it's, just it's horrendous why would you do
1: that to another person? it's horrendous
2: have you ever seen the film threads no, I'd highly recommend watching it. It's one of the most harrowing films you'll ever see. It's just an everyday. Was this a BBC one? I think it might have been. It was just an everyday family, and then a nuke hits, and it's just how they live after that. It's honestly horror. Oh, mm. you, you, afterwards, you feel like violated. It is a, mm. such a harrowing film. But my parents told me to watch it because they were like, we had to watch this growing up. Like, this is what it would be like. I was like, for me, it's just a film that I can be like, oh, that's that's
1: interesting. But for them, it was like, this could happen. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? This could genuinely happen. (laughs) Now, over in Russia, however, it was a different story. On the 26th of September 1983, Lieutenant Colonel Stanislav Petrov of the Soviet Air Defence Forces was beginning his night shift at the Sepukov-15 bunker just outside of Moscow. He was the duty officer at the command centre for their nuclear early warning system called OKO. Stanislav's team used a very advanced technology for the time, satellites. Now, these satellites orbiting the Earth monitored their enemies and was designed to detect heat signatures given off by a nuclear launch and track the plumes coming from the engine's exhaust using infrared. Very modern stuff. So, this is how they could like, sort of detect it. They're like, okay, severe heat signature coming from here. We... Would recognize that as being one that came from maybe a nuclear missile and then they can track it and see where it's going okay now petrov's team although the heightened tensions between the ussr and the uss usa never really had to do much they monitored the skies day in and day out and luckily never had to do the unthinkable mainly and obviously that's because it's it's the reason why it's called the cold war right it nothing really happened i mean there were a few skirmishes and a few like proxy wars between the two but never direct between the two because if there was they think the natural escalation would be missed nukes Mm. but that was until quarter past 12 the alarm goes off the men around the control room are looking around at each other for confirmation of what they're hearing it was the alarm they likely hoped never to hear the satellites had detected a nuclear missile being launched from the United States of America, and it was heading directly towards Mother Russia. Officer on duty Stanislav Petrov had a huge decision to make. But who is this man at the helm on this night, and what events led him to this crucial moment? Well, Stanislav Petrov was born on September 7th, 1939, in an area called Vladivostok. Now, we all know that Russia is a big-ass fucking country, but to put into perspective, Vladivostok is so far east of Russia, it's bordered with China to the north, North Korea to the east, and Japan to the south. That's how far east it is. That's very east. Almost as east as you can get. Honestly, it really is. That's how big
2: Russia is like it, russia's it, ma- Russia's a fucking massive country but
1: most of it is very uninhabitable that's what I mean like Russia has a big country but half of it is not a country like everyone just pretty much lives in I think mainly like one area surely like they can't live all over it I imagine the most inhabited place would be
2: the west an area that's sort of where all the major cities are isn't it
1: yeah um now Vladivostok was a very important country uh, region for russia and uh, the ussr later on um uh, it was a key port region it's really good it's uh sea of japan i think is like near it or that it's on it um and from there it can trade and do a lot of stuff so it was quite an important uh place for russia and uh, even, there was even border clashes with the invading japanese army from korea in 1938 a year before stanislav was born um Now, the area bred hardy people, as Russians are known for, and Petrov's parents were no different. His father was a fighter pilot for the USSR during World War II, and his mother was noted as being a very hard and a very cold person, especially to Stanislav, who claims that she always preferred his younger brother. Now, by the age of 17, his parents were pushing him to leave and go be an adult, So he joined the military, more out of necessity than from a desire to be a soldier. But there he found a family. It wasn't so much the one he wanted, but it was the one that he got. And he also found love marrying a woman called Raisa, or Raya, in 1973. And they would go on to have two children together. Now, growing up from his teens in the military, you can imagine the levels of doctrine drilled into his head. Maybe that's an unfair way of putting it, since Americans and many other peoples from various nations were also indoctrinated by their respective governments. What I'm getting at is that the patriotism drilled into recruits and, at this time of history, civilians, you're told by your state-run media and army superiors that the Western world is the enemy, that your way of living is the correct way. Not to mention, if you ever disagreed with this during say Stalin's time right you'd end up in a gulag or worse dead you believe what you're being told right then there's your awesome spy agency getting all kinds of saucy information from the enemy including how to create your own nuclear weapons which now puts you on a footing with the capitalist Americans you can now be taken more seriously and not only that your nation recently sent Sputnik into orbit, the first man-made object to orbit the Earth. Then you sent a bloody dog into space with Laika. Then you sent a human with Yuri Gagarin. Man, the Soviet Union sure is the best place to be. It's technologically advanced, to 0% unemployment. Things are just great here. And the Americans and the West are trying to stop you spreading that awesome communist way of life. Now, isn't that mad? When you put it into that way, you're like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, this is what you're told. This is what you believe. And, and there's no one to tell you otherwise. And when you're doing what your country thinks is good work, like spreading communism and spreading all this goodness, mm. and then you're told, well, these Americans, they absolutely hate the way we live. And they think it's terrible. Uh, and the way they live's like, awful. And they're trying to stop that. You'd be like, oh, well, I don't... Nobody wants to. Be, nobody wants to be told they're wrong. Mm.
2: I mean, kids are a product of their environment. They'll always believe. I mean, it's that we're not going to get into the religion, but we'd do that every episode. But it's the same with religion, <laughs> same with cult, same with everything. If a child is brought up believing a certain way, that is then how the child will will act. I remember my grandparents went to Russia, um, and I don't know how they found themselves in this situation, but they were in like someone's house, and they were talking about how they perceive each other and the russians were always like oh we're always told that the west is bad and obviously my grandma's like well the west is told that russia's bad they were like actually we're just enjoying some vodka and we're not actually that different
1: yeah yeah that's actually it and we do cover that a little bit later on I, i just think when you put into perspective when you put it into a perspective that's not necessarily our own western view although i was being a bit flippant and and uh biased when i was talking about that um you can see why many were very patriotic and could easily see the west as being the true evil of the world when when someone comes in and tells you that everything you've known everything that your country is built upon is bad or wrong you tend not to have a positive reaction if that makes sense um
2: yeah completely agree it's funny you should say this because one the the essay i've got a write for a couple of weeks is literally about how um the west sort of imposes their culture onto the rest of the world
1: absolutely yeah we all do it and it even goes down to standard civilians like yourself and me and maybe some of our listeners that are from the Western world and America and whatnot. And we, we go to places and we're like, this is so very different from what we're used to. But because like maybe that's where big business comes from or where money comes from, like other places around the world tend to adopt this culture to attract us more. Um, and I may- think
2: one thing that sums it up the best for me, and I find this hilarious, is that Okinawa and some other places basically... Places where America set up military bases in Japan and it's more like an Americanized place now, they have much higher obesity rates than the rest of Japan. Is that right? <laughs> Literally, because America bought with it all of the fast food, all of that sort of shit. Whilst the Japanese diet generally is very good, but places with American military bases have higher obesity levels because of the culture. And I just find that incredible.
1: That's fascinating. Now... This is a life that Stanislav Petrov has grown up in and defends as part of the military. Even in later life, he holds on to these feelings when he's confronted by an American talking about what the Americans thought about the Russians during the Cold War. And in this moment, he gets very defensive and he says, this is exactly what the Russians thought of America. Um... And he even says, like, this guy was talking about him, and he was like, oh, you're you're such a fucking like stupid goat, I think he calls him, in his mother tongue, right? And he's like, you fucking goat, or brainless goat, I think he calls him a brainless goat. And he's like, this is exactly what we we're thinking about you. um And yet, like, that's just government talk. Like, because I don't give a toss about you. Like, I don't care. I don't see you as a threat. And you shouldn't see me as a threat. But because my government tells me that you are, and your government tells you that I am, you don't like my country you don't like me just because of the country i come from and and it touches on what you were talking about with your grandparents when they went to uh, russia and it's like that whole thing where it's like well because our governments told us that that's what we do and so that's what we did and it's like if you just took five minutes to sat down and have a chat and you'd be like no we're just going to sit down and have a drink eat some food and just get on mm, so food for thought mutually assured destruction or mad A term first used in 1962 meaning that with both sides having such destructive weapons that could not only annihilate each other but the world have no incentive to use, creating a stalemate. This was the way of the majority of the Cold War. Yes, there were many proxy wars but no direct conflict between the USA and the USSR for fears that nuclear weapons would be a natural escalation to try and end any war swiftly. But if one fired first, the other would naturally fire back in equal measures in a retaliatory strike. It was a tense period. Each side had the capabilities to destroy their enemy, but knew that using such weapons would almost certainly bring on the destruction of their own people. Nobody wanted to be the person to make that call. Nobody ever hoped that one side would be stupid enough to do it. Yet here we are back in the command centre with Stanislav Petrov, the alarm blaring as the satellite system detects a nuclear missile being launched on its way to Russia. Men are shouting down radios, trying to get confirmation and coordinates to pass up to their officer on duty, Petrov. The the procedure was a pretty simple one. If a nuclear missile was detected by Soviet systems, an immediate and compulsory retaliatory strike was to be launched. Stanislav, being the officer on duty, was expected to call his superiors to confirm that a missile had indeed been launched. Once that was done, it would be out of his hands and a missile would be launched. That is a pressure, isn't it? What a job.
2: Like, your job would be to murder millions.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, And, 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 and the Russians later came out and said, Stanislav Petrov is not... Um, he was he was not directly uh, going to launch a nuclear missile. He was one cog among many, and he said, "Yeah, sure, sure, sure." But if he made the call, it would essentially start the machine going.
2: Yeah, the, I mean that's terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying.
1: Yeah, immense pressure. Um, now, not entirely trusting the new satellite system, Petrov wanted confirmation from ground radar. He was constantly on the phone wanting updates from all his subordinates on what was happening before he made his decision on whether to make the call or not. And now nearly two minutes after the first alarm, a second alarm goes off. Another missile has been detected by the satellites coming from the USA. And I mean, what do you do at this point? One, you might think, ah fuck, but two... The first one, yeah, you'd assume you're being nuked. Yeah, the first one, you think, oh, listen, can we just get a double confirmation from everywhere? Then another one comes up, and you think, right, okay, that's now picked up two. Now I could have maybe, I, I could have maybe played the first one and said that was a mistake, but there's, there's two now. That's two mm. from a different area as well. I mean, very sus. Oh, how do you play that one? Ugh. Now, again, all the procedures are the same here. Okay, com- Confirmation of the missile is passed off to Stanislav Petrov where it stops because he doesn't make his phone call. Petrov doesn't ring his superiors notifying them. He wants more confirmation. He wants ground radar to confirm sight of them, which they can't do. He even asks another team who are monitoring the sky from space to confirm two missiles, which, again, they're unable to do. Petrov wants a confirmation that the system that detected the missiles is working correctly and hasn't malfunctioned. And that's fair. So, right, run a diagnostic. I want that machine, wo- I want to know that machine's working 100%. And it, it, it totally makes sense, right? And, it, and, and that's exactly what I'm yeah, thinking, sure. right? Evidently, the satellite and the machine, the system itself has malfunctioned, right? Mm. Yeah. And now, analysis of the system shows that it's not malfunctioning. All systems are operating fine. So now our system that was at first not tri- entirely trusted by the commanding officer has made excuses for it by saying, oh, listen, I don't trust it. Maybe it's malfunctioned. I want ground radar. I want the eye in the sky to confirm it. They can't confirm it. Run a diagnostics on the system. OK, diagnostics has come through. It's working 100%. Perfect. No no malfunctions have been detected. It Well, they've done the due diligence then. They've, they've checked it works. So, I mean, at this point, you do assume that it's correct. Yeah. And then, the alarm goes off again. A third, a, third. a third missile has been detected from the USA. Calm down, America. That's three missiles, nuclear missiles, heading towards Russia. The early warning system is confirmed to be working correctly, but the eye in the sky has not yet seen if they're, if, with their own eyes, a missile is on the way, and ground radar has also not yet detected it. So Petrov decides to hold firm, Till he receives confirmations from those two departments. Fair play. That's balls of steel.
2: I mean, in such a high-stake job, you need someone at the helm who is very composed under pressure, and he seems very composed.
1: Yeah. Now, the state seemed to 100% back this uh, early warning system. So when this comes through as saying, yeah, it works fine, now, I imagine there were many, many other people, had they been working that night, would have just gone for it.
2: Yeah,
1: probably someone who's was a bit more gung-ho. Yeah.
2: No, I think, I think everyone got very lucky that uh, the correct man was in charge. So,
1: yeah, Stanislav holds fire for a bit. And then, alarm goes again. A fourth missile. Petrov and his team are now beginning to sweat. They need to decide if the next minute or so what they're going to do if they leave it too late they won't get a chance to retaliate many are screaming at Petrov to make the call confirming the launches the system they trust the system it says that there are missiles coming there is systems there there are missiles coming sweat drips from Petrov's head he picks up the red phone used only to confirm the sighting and recommend a retaliation retaliatory strike and once he picks up the phone the alarm goes off again A fifth missile is on the way. Systems who is is uh, definitely there, says it's definitely there, but the eye in the sky and ground radar still can't confirm it. Millions of lives hung in the balance and they didn't even know it. One phone call and millions of families, mothers, fathers, children, simply wouldn't see the next day. And the numbers of people who would die based on one phone call really should be too much for one person to live with, surely. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Maybe that's why he was staying his hand. Yeah. Now, to put into perspective, uh, a Minuteman missile from America, um, if you was to combine the power of every single bomb that was dropped during World War II, it would still only equate to about 60% of the destructive power of one Minuteman missile from America. Just one. That's a big bomb. Just one. And there were, I'm not joking, James, thousands of them in America and across the world, almost trained at Russia. That, and that and That's just from America. That's sakes. just from America. Thousands. And Russia had... Have... Yeah, because Russia would have had the yep. same point in exactly, back. Exactly. And, and so... That's how powerful they are. And these these countries just have thousands of them. And they they think they're going to use them? Now, Mm. Petrov waited for ground radar and the eye in the sky, but neither could confirm the sighting of five missiles. Petrov put the phone down, back on the receiver. He didn't trust the new system. And can you imagine at this point, you've got, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 russian soldiers around you screaming at you telling you to make the call yeah probably worried about their families no exactly that exactly that worried about their families and they're thinking listen if this is going to come i want to get them back and i want it now do it now Mm. do it and he's like no i'm not i can't i can't do it i cannot do it he believed that if the americans really did try the unthinkable and really did intend to finally kill off the enemy Sending five missiles wouldn't do the job completely and would only cause a retaliatory strike from Russia. And when talking about this moment, he said, quote, I really didn't want to be the cause of World War Three. If they attack my country, let my soul take on this sin. He was just like, listen, I can't be the one, I cannot be the one that does it. I can't do it. I can't do it. They can can murder millions of my people, but I cannot be the one that does that to someone else. I can't do it. Mm. And, oh, just... And then, can you just imagine the next minute or so as the room then just goes deathly silent as every member of staff in that room watches the screen on the wall as the first missile gets closer... And closer, knowing that any second now it's going to disappear, and when it disappears, you know that means that millions of people will have died. Would yeah. Oh Would you make off. the call?
2: <laughs> oh, what a what a question to ask on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> um, no, I don't think I would.
1: I couldn't do it. I could not do it, knowing no, knowing oh, what I it will do.
2: I don't believe in an eye for an eye. If, they, if I'm getting nuked, I'm going to die regardless. I'm not going to take people with me.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas
2: socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush
0: clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase,
2: Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone.
0: Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
1: Now, luckily for Stanislav, when the first missile disappeared on screen, nothing happened. Millions of Russians carried on sleeping soundly in their beds. There was no blast. No blinding light followed by a superheated wave atomizing the surrounding area and everyone in it in the control room. the other missiles disappeared on screen. Comrades breathed a sigh of relief. some had a tear in their eye, including Stanislav and I'd be bawling my eyes out at this point. I, I, I would, knowing that I, I held firm yeah I'd be shaking I'd be I'd probably have pissed myself I, I would be a
2: mess.-hmm
1: yeah, a little bit of weird His hunch was right there was a glitch in the system they they couldn't figure it out initially but it was later determined that the system had detected sunlight on high altitude clouds and mistook it for heat expected to be found no with launches yeah yeah that was what it was it was just it was just um light because it was an infrared system right so it detected the light coming off the high altitude clouds mistook it for heat and now it was like five of them done five there's five hey, everyone <laughs> <laughs> send your missiles back bloody hell uh-huh
2: well that's a shit system they need to get a new one
1: well this is the thing um i oh, will get to it in a minute now initially petrov was praised by his comrades uh, many saying that he needed to make room on his chest for another badge <laughs> they were like you need to make room that comrade make more room there's going to be a big badge coming on um and when he talks about it like he's like smiling and laughing because he found it really funny still like the people were saying that Um, But this really didn't last long. Uh, He was extensively questioned by his superiors and was actually later reprimanded for not filling his paperwork out on the incident correctly. Now, um, supposedly, during this moment, when it it was all going off, he was supposed to be keeping a log the entire time. Mm. Uh, But because he didn't do it, because, you know, he was too busy stopping the world from fucking exploding um he got he got a (laughs) bollocking from his superiors they were like what why have you why have you not filled you've not filled out the paperwork and it's like he was like i was i was pretty busy like trying to stop the world from exploding and they were like it's not i bet a lot of people
2: listening to that because i had the same initial reaction of old typical russia but i bet every single country in the world that has that power would do the same america uk germany france all the superpowers would 100 percent reprimand that person as well
1: absolutely absolutely i think it might have something to do um with uh well i don't know i i think they were having a go at him um hold on so we into getting to it in a second so he was never awarded for his actions since to do so would be to acknowledge that the party and the scientists behind the system made errors and I think that's the reason why he was reprimanded. It's to say, if we acknowledge you and we reward you, that means that we fucked up. I
2: mean, to be fair, that is typical Russia because you just look at um, Chernobyl, and they did the same there. Yeah, like the rest of the world knew exactly what was going on, and Russia didn't keep any documentation of it whatsoever because their their
1: pride gets in the way. Absolutely, yeah. So I think it was due to that. Like, to publicly acknowledge him as being a hero would to be say would 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 be to say we fucked up, we made a mistake. Yeah. And we nearly. And Russia don't fuck up. Yeah, we nearly blew up the world. Yeah. Um, Oh, Russia. Yeah. Now, instead, he was actually demoted to a less sensitive post. Now, he suffered from a nervous breakdown later on, which is only natural. No shit. (laughs) Um, He was the primary caregiver to his loving wife, who had actually, during the entire night that he was dealing with the world not blowing up, his wife was at home. He was pretty much her primary caregiver. She'd been suffering from cancer from quite a long time and she was very, very ill. So he's got that... Bloody at, hell. Yeah, he's got that at home and he's also in charge of, like, stopping the world or making the world blow up. Um, so he had... What a guy, man. Yeah, man. Um, she wasn't getting any better. So he decided to retire early from the military to focus on caring for his wife in her last years. Uh, she would pass away in 1997. In, in fact, not knowing what her husband did that night in 1983 because it was never it never came out maybe, maybe he told her and he couldn't tell maybe her maybe he told her in private I don't know we don't know uh, it, it seems maybe he didn't because uh, uh, there's a documentary that he's even in and he sort of never really mentions much about it but um, he does say mm. that the night he came home after it all happened and his wife was like how was work and he went nah nothing really happened yeah <laughs> <sighs> because as well you think at at, 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 at the time if he had divulged the sort of top secret uh, secret oh you would have been killed yeah exactly he could have been in prison could have been killed all that kind of stuff and maybe he didn't want to put that on his wife so maybe it just never came out he also believed up until sort of about 2006 that um, if he ever spoke about this kind of shit like properly um, he would be put in a gulag he genuinely believed that but also he grew Mm. up in a Stalin era up until like 53 when Stalin popped his clogs Um, this was about the sort of the time that he was joining the military as a teenager. So, like, he lived Mm. in this era where you just don't talk about shit. Like, No. But, yeah, imagine that. Imagine that. I I, I like to think maybe he told her in private, just, you know, this is what I did.
2: Yeah, you'd you'd imagine so. I hope she was proud of it. I would have fled to America and milked the fuck out of (laughs) it. Yeah.
1: But that's just me. Yeah. Now, for over a decade after that, the world... uh, Sorry, for over a decade at the point of uh, our night... The world would be unaware of how close it came to the end until 1998 when it was revealed to the public. Um, now, by this time, Stanislav had become a bit of a recluse after the loss of his wife as well. He was focused solely on looking after his dying wife and then became a very bitter old man towards the world. Um, kind of like how I imagine, um, you know, the old man from up. He was kind of like that after he lost his wife. Yeah, yeah, Just sort of really angry and bitter at the the world. Yeah. Um, But obviously less cute, because the guy, you know, just some angry (laughs) old Russian dude. Now, after she died, he didn't have much in the way to motivate him. I mean, he had two kids, but, like, you know, they're adults, they're off doing their own thing. Um, His days were spent going to the offy to buy beers and fags, then heading back to his apartment to consume beers and fags. That was pretty much his day-to-day, right? Now... Mm. which is a bit of a shame it's so sad and because as well like his things were never acknowledged at the time so his life sort of just never went anywhere it just stayed as it was and yeah he got demoted now after the knowledge of his heroics back in the 80s came to light in the late 90s many wanted to praise him including many from america of course because they were the ones that would be like we would have died (laughs) yeah Um, now, in 2004, he was awarded the World Citizen Award and a $1,000 prize by the Association of World Citizens uh, in San Francisco, I believe. Uh, news broadcasters and journalists began pestering him by ringing him for interviews and even showing up at his apartment uninvited, wanting to speak to him. This used to piss him off to no end. He hated this. Yeah, as it would. Um, this just literally turned up his flat. And he's like, "What? who, who are you? And they've just got like microphones in his face. And he's like, fuck off. Uh, In fact, one company did get to him, though. This was a Danish film director who wanted to make a documentary on him, to which Stanislav reluctantly agreed. Now, this documentary was lovingly created following Stanislav's trip to the United States in 2006 to receive another World Citizen Award from the United Nations in New York. Now, the documentary is called The Man Who Saved the World, and it's really worth the watch. I I highly recommend it. It's beautifully created. Um, Stanislav is in it. You see him, uh, and he talks about his shit. But he's also very reluctant to talk about a lot of stuff. And you, you can just see he's a very tortured old dude, man. He's been for a lot, and he's just very angry mm. at the world. He just kind of he, uh, he's so, so he feels. Let, I mean, he, he seems to be like he feels he's let down by everything. Um, it, it's it, it's worth the watch. I really would recommend it. Um. Now, in his acceptance speech to the United Nations, he says how he does not see himself as a hero and that he was, quote, at the right place at the right time in very broken English because he learnt sort of that, that one phrase uh, and a few right. other things to say to him. And yeah, I, I, I they always said, like, heroes are humble, aren't they? And, you know, that's just the way yeah. they are. And he says he's just at the right place at the right time. And I agree because like we were saying earlier, if had it been someone else on duty that night, who was a bit more gun ho um, you know, that would have been it. He was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I'd also like to just, uh, just as a quick aside, during the Korean War, when China was considering joining North Korea to help out, uh, what's his name? Is he a general? General MacArthur, right? He's a pretty famous name in World War Two and uh, later on in American history and military history. General MacArthur wanted to use and this is not a joke he wanted to use tactical nukes along the North Korean China border to stop China potentially coming into the war he was willing to use tactical nukes to kill millions of people or potentially millions of people along the border to just to stop China joining in on the war how fucking that like, the dude was like nuke and everyone's like no he's like nuke em. no this is the worry isn't
2: it if this technology falls into the wrong hands
1: yeah uh, but this guy was around for world war ii he was an active general in world war ii so he mm. knew about nagasaki he knew about hiroshima and he yeah. knew about the devastation that it caused and was like "Nukem, it'll work Whoa, like that anyway along the way during this documentary the man who saved the world he meets some famous names like matt damon who funny it's hilarious he has no idea who matt damon is <laughs> <laughs> he's just got no clue and bear in mind it's 2006 so it's kind of a youngish da- matt damon but um. Yeah. Like, he's got no fucking clue who this dude is, and this guy's been in Saving Private Ryan. Um, <laughs> he's also there, and he meets uh Robert De Niro, who he does know and he does like. Right. But good. he also gets a, he he does get a chance to meet his favorite actor of all time, Kevin Costner. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Costner is his favorite actor. He absolutely adores That's him. Fair. I wonder if he's seen um, his um Robin Hood. Probably. He loves Waterworld. <laughs> Uh, and there's another one there's another one um i forget where it is i can't remember it is it might be um dances with wolves or something um but he honestly you get to see the moment in the documentary where he gets to meet kevin costner in his trailer and he's genuinely starstruck to see his movie idol it's very very heartwarming to see this because earlier in the film we see him really getting snappy at people and just like he's very angry and when he talks about the war the cold war sometimes he can get very like closed off and whatnot in this moment is honestly he's like watching a 14 year old watching jls it's it's so funny um but yeah uh, so stanislav does however have some concerns for the future he's asked on many occasions if he believes that nuclear weapons will ever be used again in the future to which he firmly believes yes nuclear weapons will one day be used in warfare and said about this quote nobody would win in a worldwide nuclear war that's quite scary to think like even now like maybe he's just very bitter and pessimistic but he like he's like no they will get used at some point it's just like a natural escalation at some point someone's going to be stupid enough to do it i saw an article in the last
2: couple of days where i think there has been a a a unanimous decision amongst the world to never ever use nuclear bombs which hopefully long may it continue um
1: we'll find another way to
2: wipe out our species i'm sure but hopefully that's not the way
1: yeah bio bio weapons like covid
2: (laughs) yeah i mean there is all that thing isn't it was it created in a lab who knows did Uh someone fuck a pangolin that's a reference to the south park uh covid special if you haven't seen it and you like south park give it a watch it's very good
1: now stanislav petrov was recognized the world over as a hero for his actions or inactions we might say He was honoured with many awards, which also came with money. Stanislav Petrov would die in 2017 from pneumonia aged 77. Now today, nine nations have nuclear weapons. The United States, UK, France, Russia, China, Pakistan, India, Israel and North Korea.
2: There's some interesting countries
1: missing off that list. Like what,
2: like what? Like some European, like Germany, I would expect. Did you say Germany or do they not?
1: So, Germany have American missiles based in them.
2: Ah, right. Because of the military bases, because of what Germany got up to <laughs> prior. <laughs>
1: <Because> <laughs> um, Yeah, no, there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of nations, particularly in Europe, have. Uh, America, France, or like UK as they like. I suppose popsy. it's
2: all NATO oh. in it. We're all we're all in it together.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's like loads of like deals where they house nuclear weapons for them and all this yeah. kind of shit.
2: I'm gonna suck our dick for a little bit, and I think the UK has the best system. I think Trident's a really good idea.
1: Interesting. We will get on to Trident in a minute. Okay. Um. Now. While there are less nukes in the world today, around 14,000 in total around the world, down from 70,000 in 1986, nations like China, and Pakistan, China, Pakistan and India are believed to be producing more and more. In 2017, the UN unveiled a treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons, which is probably a thing you were talking about earlier, um, to which 100 nations signed up to, to say, prohibit nuclear weapons, they should never be made, anything, mm. nothing, get rid of them. Guess which countries would, guess what countries weren't on that
2: bill? How many? Uh,
1: bill. Give, me, give, me, give me a number and I'll list them out. Alright, there were
2: four. America? Yep. Russia? Yep. China? No. Ah, was it India and Pakistan? He's a European. Oh, is it? Was it UK? The UK and France. Fuck's sakes, guys. They all
1: boycotted oh, this.
2: That's so annoying. Yeah. America and Russia, I get it. They're going to be beefing with each other until the fucking world ends. You crack
1: on. But we we don't have to be part of that. In fact, the UK is actually in the process of renewing its trident nuclear deterrent.
2: Yeah, there's a whole thing about that, isn't it? People
1: are not happy that money's been spent now i actually looked into this uh a little bit uh according to like full fact uh it actually that the the um the, there was always that do you remember that 200 billion pound mark that was thrown around all all the time mm-hmm. uh it's actually they've been given a budget of 40 billion to renew the whole thing right. um which you know obviously is a significant amount of money uh but i also looked it up and obviously, throughout COVID. Um, the amount of money spent on covid is like three times more than yeah trident this so the thing, people uh, don't
2: really understand how budgets work they're not good they don't just have one massive room full of fucking money and be like <laughs> oh, i'm gonna spend all of this on it like you get different <laughs> budgets for different sectors
1: like fucking oliver twist just walking up to the big door please, yeah, sir, can and please have have like scrooge
2: mcduck <laughs> jumping in his pile of money <laughs>
1: Uh, Also, for reference, the uh the NHS costs about one hundred and fifteen billion a year. I mean, that should naturally be our priority:
2: health, schools, and all sorts. But I think they've always got Trident. If you don't know, is a submarine that constantly circles the UK, and that is our deterrent. Like, you don't know where it is at any point. Yeah. Um. And I think there's two of them, but only one is like one is going constantly, but then one will come in as another one goes out. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's a really good out. idea. Because In you just don't sense, know where though? it is. Because
1: what's? But then what, what? Why is it? Why is not knowing where it is better than just knowing where it is? Because then no one can take it out. If someone tries anything, uh, and then if someone like...
2: do, and then if someone does attack Trident, you're like, right, okay, they're probably going to want to nuke us now.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I suppose, yeah, if if you know where it is, you could potentially send in a small military unit that could maybe take it out or Yeah, de- whereas a submarine would be
2: so difficult. Yeah. Because no, I you'd suppose. have to come into our waters. We'd, we'd know you're there. You can't just get, like, a team of people in a helicopter to drop in,
1: which wouldn't work. So, tactically speaking, yes, it makes a lot of sense and it's very clever. Uh, morally, do we just need it? Because then as well, like if, if if no one knows where it is at any time, we could scrap it and no one would know.
2: Well, this is a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that Morally, I disagree with nukes. Naturally, I don't want millions of people to die. Who does? But if if us having nukes stops someone else from launching it, then I guess there is a greater good in it. It would hmm. uh, To get rid of all nukes, you need every single nation to get rid of all of them. And as long as that's not going to happen, no one will. You can't just get rid of it and hope other people will. Otherwise, you are fucked.
1: Yeah, it's a Mexican standoff from the office, isn't it, really? Yeah.
2: So so the hope is that everyone's constantly pointing at each other and no one has the balls to do it because it would mean devastation
1: for them as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so now, I, 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 think, I think it's fine. In terms of being asked to press the red button, during our last general election, Jeremy Corbyn, who was the leader of the Labour Party at the time, uh, was being relentlessly grilled um, and slaughtered. I don't understand him. why the fuck they went for him on that.
2: Right, yeah. Like, all so of he, the, he, all of the questions were just like, "Would you nuke a country?" Like, why the fuck would you
1: ask anyone that? And no one else was asked that question.
2: No, would you? Would you kill millions of people? If he said yes, the newspapers are going to tear him to shreds. If he said no, the newspapers are going to tear
1: him to shreds. It was yeah. just a witch hunt. It was a witch hunt. So, um, you know, not probably not to stay on it too much because you could probably tell that James and I are probably a bit bitter about the whole thing. Uh, this guy was promising us free internet, um, so. <laughs> uh we and missed that would out on fucking great
2: over the pandemic wouldn't it
1: wouldn't it have just and then and obviously there was uh over the pandemic there was the conservatives came out with a um we're going to cap the internet costs or something and, and uh, labor were like oh that's a pretty good idea wonder where you got that from yeah i bet <laughs> um, corbyn wouldn't have
2: had any parties either Uh,
1: yeah now yes as i was saying during the last general election jeremy corbyn leader of the Labour Party at the time was getting a lot of stick in the media he was asked and it was it was about renewing Trident basically I think it was he was saying that it's not something he believes we ought to renew it's a big uh a cost it's a big expense that he thinks should be redistributed somewhere else uh he's saying listen it's yeah it's great as a deterrent call but if no one knows where it is or whatever you can kind of get rid of it you don't necessarily need it also what's the likelihood of anyone attacking us anytime soon like that and then it became a whole well, would you press the red button if need be and it was like he, he never really sort of went for it. I think at one point he did say he wouldn't. I think if I remember mm. right, I think he did say at some point he's like I wouldn't want to be the one that killed millions of people and and that's I think the point. Um, why would anyone want to do something like that? and it basically it's Stanislav's moment where he was like, I don't want to be the one that kills millions of women, children, Fathers, brothers, sisters, all of it. I don't want to be the one that does that, and I don't know anyone that would want to be that person. Why would you want to do that? No, you gotta be a special kind of fucked up. And like you said earlier, James, you know it's not tit for tat. It's it, you know, it's not an eye for an eye. Two wrongs don't make a right. No. um So yeah, suffer the consequences. You know, be that one that we're like listen. We we suffered whatever. Uh, listen, right. So in terms of this, do two wrongs make a right thing? Right. In the UK today um boris johnson is the prime minister although after today's at the time of recording pmqs it's not looking likely everyone's asking him for, <laughs> to resign i don't know if you listened to it at all but it was a horrendous Yeah, i'll, I'll watch the whole thing really... um, <laughs> but um what boris johnson doesn't do is represent every single civilian in the uk on every level now yes he does represent the uk but does he represent every individual? Well, no, that's why we have uh, constituent MPs, like local MPs and whatnot. They represent us because I vote for them. Um, sort of. Uh, listen, I think maybe a lot of countries do this, but obviously, how we do it in the UK, uh, we don't vote for a prime minister. We vote for a party to run our local area, um, and then they are part of a wider party. And the most pa- the the people, the party with the most MPs, there leader becomes the prime minister okay so um Mm -hmm. i didn't vote for conservative in my last general election i'm going to assume james didn't either but my the area that i live in would have uh voted conservative because it won now conservatives now have a seat in the area that i live in uh boris johnson is part the head of that party became the prime minister by you know basically by proxy right um so the guy doesn't necessarily represent me i didn't vote for him I'm certain James didn't vote for him. Uh, If he was to send a nuclear missile to a country and that other country sends one back in retaliation, I'm now going to die for the actions caused by someone who does not represent me. Mm -hmm. And when someone's... So, for instance, like when someone's relative is murdered, does that person's relative... Who was (laughs) murdered... Sorry, right. So, when someone's relative is murdered, does that person murder the killer's relative in retaliation. Is that fair? So, say, you kill my sister, do I then kill your brother as retaliation and say, now we're fair? (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) No, probably not. Now, Now scale it up, right? So when One Nation launches a nuke murdering millions of people, do you send one back to murder millions of others who likely have nothing to do with the situation nor have anything to do with the person that sent it in terms of i didn't vote for him so listen you're you're about to kill me for a decision that some guy made that i didn't vote for
2: yeah yeah i think it, world leaders should just have a big raw rumble Ah, oh, yes <laughs> there is and a the very... winner just is the world leader
1: yeah there's a very good i think it was like online somewhere saying that when two countries uh decide to go to war with one another it ought to be the two leaders just have a you know a fisticuffs in a field and whoever yeah, wins won just the a war. Big old scrap. was yeah. So funny. Yeah. Make it televised and everything. Put it on pay per view. Because like, listen, right, when you look at say look, take Ukraine at the moment, Ukraine and Russia, and it's 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 getting you know quite hot over there. Um, every day Ukrainians who just come get up, have breakfast, go to work, they've got no beef with someone who lives in. I don't know St. Petersburg in Russia. Who gets up, has breakfast, and goes to work. He's got no beef with him. But Putin? No,
2: not at all. They don't care.
1: Exactly. But it's like all—it's all about government. Putin and his like cronies. It's it's something for them. What's that got to do with the Russian people? What's that got to do with Ukrainian people? It has nothing to do with them. On that vein,
2: go and listen to our um, yeah, go listen to our World War One Truce episode. It's sort of on a similar, similar wavelength people yeah. on opposing sides not want to fight I um, one of my housemates is German and we've spoke about this that our great grandparents or fathers whatever um, fought against each other yeah. like they were in opposing sides like shooting at each other mm. and now we sit in the same house and we're really good friends it's like they didn't want to be there yeah hopefully
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> but even if they did it, it would be a product of what they've been told their governments and whatnot would have indoctrinated them into believing that what they're doing is the right thing yeah. And I know the Nazis come up a lot on this podcast, but the Nazis never got a majority. No. No, they took power. They took it. They forced it. They they grabbed it.
2: Yeah, which is why it's unfair to say that it was like Germany against the world. It was it was the Nazis really. Yeah. They were the issue.
1: Yeah. Well I think we've put the world to rights. That was uh, that was the episode on Stanislav. That was a good episode. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Stanislav Petrov, the man who saved the world by doing nothing. <laughs> Top bloke. Top, bloke. Top bloke. Som- bloke. Sometimes nothing is the best thing to do. Yeah. You say it best when you say nothing at all. Ronan Keating. Yeah. <laughs> Ronan Keaton. <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, I hope everyone else enjoyed that episode. Listen, you don't understand how bloody close you came to not even existing. I, we wouldn't be here today. I mean, we're in the UK. It would be all right, wouldn't we? No, because we were an ally of the US. We'd have to have joined in.
2: <sighs>
1: Bastards. Yeah, I know. America I would, have, America would have been eventually. on the phone as like bombs were being dropped, being like, go for it. And we'd have gone, OK. I would let it ring out and just text like, what do you <laughs> want? <laughs> New phone, who dis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine that—just looking up at the night sky is like loads of fucking missiles just cross paths, and you're like, none of this is gonna hit me. This is great. <laughs> yeah, tough um, light. Go back to bed. Deal with it in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> now dotted around uh if you if you are from the uk obviously we do get a lot of uk listeners now which is really cool i think we actually have more people listeners from our own country than we do from america which is like for the oh, first couple of months that's that's been a, a changeover which is awesome so it hi just everyone means the
2: podcast scene in the uk is growing which is wonderful
1: yeah exactly so uh, hi everyone if you're recent uh if you're new to the show and you're from the uk um there's loads of uh disused nuclear um bunkers up and down the country uh, there's one in essex it's quite famous called kelvin and hatch uh, i would recommend you go look at it if you are interested in the history and um how the uk was prepping for the cold war and an, and, and a nuclear uh, uh war and um, check it out it's really fascinating and also frightening um you know how how much detail goes into this shit like it was an all too real threat um for a lot of them mm. so yeah check that out um obviously guys uh you may have been expecting british Monarchies part two <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think this is why i'm so stressed i know i've got that shit to do as well
2: i've yeah. got all these assignments and then honestly people might have loved that episode my brother is a genuine historian and he listened to it and he came around and spoke to me about it and was like well yeah like you couldn't really have got anything wrong because you didn't give that much information so, uh, brilliant uh, yeah fair <laughs> he did say we got something wrong i think we called someone a son-in-law when it was like a brother-in-law or something i forget but oh that got a problem harold godwin just go right? for yourself i don't care yeah that was literally it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i said it before i'm not a historian like if you've got an issue just go on wikipedia you don't have to be here yeah just let us know that we made the mistake and then you know these the, these monarchy episodes have made me so aggressive oh, <laughs> it was such a bad idea.
1: <laughs> Um, so yeah, obviously, yeah, oh. you guys were expecting British Monarchies Part Two. Uh, Stanislav Petrov is coming instead, uh, simply because, like uh, yeah. as James has been hinting at, it's a mammoth of a series, uh, and obviously uh, he's very, very busy at university at the moment. So um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's coming. All end soon though, so it, it'll be out very soon. Don't worry, it's coming. Uh, all right so thank you very much for listening everyone um i mentioned all the things at the beginning so i won't go over it again yeah you did it at the start so they couldn't escape Yeah, you can't escape um uh, join us uh i'm gonna say next week but next episode um whenever uh, yeah and make sure you follow us on all the socials thank you very much for listening we'll see you soon Ta-ra.